we are talking about uh, not being a fan but a follower of Christ and sermon title, No Comfortable Cross. And uh, that ought to hit us right where we live because I believe for the most part that we are a culture of people who desire comfort. So let me, let me ask you a question. If you were shopping for, say, a new mattress uh, for your, your bedroom, if you had the option of choosing, say, a knockdown brand of mattress and box springs or a select comfort sleep number bed that uh, the manufacturing of it was overseen by Mark Burns as he works for that company, which one would you choose? I think you would choose the one for more comfort, don't you? And I think that's a rather catchy name, select comfort, you know? Well, that's, I think that's a, an apt phrase to describe what we do in our culture today. And there's various, various uh, means of that, that we select comfort. You know, we place a high priority on it. From memory foam on, the, on your bed, and I don't know whether that's on that uh, sleep number bed or not, but uh, lazy boys for your living room, big screen TVs, body pillows, snuggies, all those kinds of things. And one of the things that we do is we sit back in our comfortable den or wherever and chair or couch or whatever, and uh, we like to watch the big screen and, and do that in comfort. Uh, one of the shows that I wonder if some of you watch is one that, that I watch occasionally is uh, Dirty Jobs. Any of you ever watch that? Uh, interesting show in it that uh, Mike Rose, I think is his name, that he goes to these places where all these interesting dirty jobs are done. And you can sit there and say, that is disgusting on some of the things that, that we find is going on out there that are jobs that are actually being done. I also find it interesting now wondering if he's going back to do that show because he's uh, got a pretty comfortable job advertising uh, blue jeans and Ford Motor products. So I wonder if he's going to go back and do the dirty jobs. We'll just have to wait and see. Now, while we like comfort, there's also a danger to that comfort uh, in our life. And one of the great places is, uh, uh, besides all the other areas in life in which we get so comfortable and complacent that we don't want to invest our life in any way in the community, that our faith also becomes comfortable. We're used to comfort. Uh, nice and cool in here today. People who at the Carolina game, I'm not sure about the Clemson game or any of the other games yesterday, but uh, everybody I talked to who went to the Carolina game said that's the hottest uh, that they ever remember being at a, at a Carolina game. Tom Yarborough said, no, the one against Nebraska in 86 or 87, whichever one that was. He said that was the hottest one. But um, we like our comfort. We got our comfort zone. And all of the endeavors in our life kind of keep us in that comfort zone. When it comes to our faith, then that's a real big issue. Because we get ourselves in our comfort zone with our faith, and that's kind of where we stay. We want to be there where we're safe where we're protected, where we're secure, where we're cozy, where we're saved and contented. And, and that stymies our growth. It does not advance the kingdom of God. And I say that what happens is we choose comfort over commitment and complacency over confession. Now, the, the central hallmark verse all the way through on um, this issue about not being a fan but a follower is Jesus' words in Luke 9, 23. And Jesus says, If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross daily, and follow me. His implication is very clear. 
there's nothing comfortable about the cross or being a full-fledged follower of Jesus Christ. See, so we're in our fourth week of not a fan. Have you determined yet whether you're a fan of Jesus, just a fan? Part of the crowd following him to see him do something miraculous? You like to come in for the worship and, and you just stay at a safe distance? You don't really make any comfort uh, decisions that get you out of your comfort zone about life in the kingdom of God? Or have you decided you're a follower? You're making decisions that will allow you to be a follower of Jesus Christ and take up your cross daily. If you're making that decision, let me remind you, there's no such thing as a comfortable cross. And you say, well, why, why do we want to talk about the difficult aspect of being a disciple by taking up our cross daily if it's going to be uncomfortable? Shouldn't we be talking about the greater things in, in the message about Christianity that even Jesus talked about? That uh, about like love and peace and joy and fulfillment and forgiveness, because that'll draw more people in, won't it? Well, oftentimes when he had the largest crowd, it's when Jesus would set forth the greatest demands of discipleship and make it clear. So we don't come to Jesus to talk about what we have done to make him feel better and, and to accept his offer. We come to bear a cross. And then we kind of comfort that down to say, well, we've all got our crosses to bear, don't we? And there's a lot of misconception about what it means to take up the cross daily. See, there's a difference between a thorn, a burden, and a cross. A thorn would be something that's a physical ailment that you have. You know, Apostle Paul had a thorn in the flesh and he prayed to God and asked him to take it away. And God said, no, but I, I will make you strong out of your weakness. So, a thorn is something like a physical condition you have to deal with. A burden is something that's just that. It's a burden. Um, you have to work on it or you have to deal with it every day. It could be an invalid spouse. It could be uh, a wayward child. It could be uh, you know, a, a, a rebellious teenager. Um, it could be uh, your job situation you know, or the economy. Now, those are things that are burdens. That's not a cross to bear. The cross is, you're not literally taking up the cross that Jesus did. Some people have and walked across the country and all of that. It's not just wearing a cross around your neck on a chain. It's not having it tattooed on you. It's not carrying a cross in your pocket. I used to do that for years and years and years, and I found out that was kind of a security blanket for me. And I had to find my identity in something more than that because I was always conscious if I would lose my cross. You know, so I put it in a safe place, and I don't wear it all the time. But we we want it comfortable. And the cross is not because the cross is whatever you're willing to endure that inconveniences you to make yourself be a disciple of Christ and to follow after him as a committed core in the life of the church. Jesus said there's no such thing as a comfortable cross when he talks about all the issues about being a disciple and following after him. Now, the author of the book, Not a Fan, has some insight on that for us. Let's watch this short video clip. Sometimes in an effort to get as many people as possible to follow Jesus, I have, with good intentions, made following Him sound as attractive, as appealing as possible. And so I've talked a lot about the unconditional joy 
the peace that passes understanding, the grace and mercy that frees us from all of our guilt and shame. Those things are true and they are beautiful and they should be spoken of often. But I've realized that I have been guilty of selling Jesus. Of emphasizing only the parts about Jesus that I thought people would like. Imagine it this way. Imagine if my oldest daughter grows up and goes to college and after a number of years isn't married, but she really wants to be. And so I decide to help the process along. And I take out an ad in the newspaper and I put up a billboard sign and print up t-shirts begging someone to come and choose her. Wouldn't that cheapen who she is? Wouldn't that make it seem like they were doing her a favor? I would never do that. If you want to come and get to know her, you better come with everything you've got, or I'll send you a packet. <laughs> I don't think there's any dads that would go to that extreme, would you, to advertise your daughter's eligible for somebody to take her hand. But his point is, it's not what we do uh, in response to Jesus, that we do it because we feel sorry for Jesus and that we need to follow after Him. It's what we decide to do to be a full-fledged follower who accepts the challenge of following after Jesus. And let me remind you again that it was oftentimes when the largest number of people, the largest crowds were coming after Him that Jesus would give forth a teaching on some of the stronger aspects of being a disciple. One of those is in our Scripture today. We find that in Luke 14, beginning in verse 25. Large crowds, there we see it, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, This fellow began to build and was not able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Well, as we look into this passage of Scripture, we see large numbers of people are following after Jesus. And Jesus is also in his journey towards Jerusalem, and he's getting ever so close to the cross. And his teaching is very clear. He wants to make sure that if you're going to follow after him, just as he said to these crowds back then, it's a total commitment of your life. 
Last Sunday, um, in between worship times, Mike Bevel, who was the deacon for intercessory prayer, reminded me of a story that maybe most of us have heard. But it's about a, a, a hen and a hog that they heard about a, 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 an effort by a church to feed the hungry in the neighborhood. And the hen said to the hog, why don't we help them out and make a contribution? said, I'll give the eggs. And why don't we have a ham, ham and egg dinner for the people? Well, the hog says, well, that's easy for you. That's just a contribution. For me, it's a total commitment. Well, that's what Christ wants from us is a total commitment. He says, if you don't give up everything to follow after him. I think that means everything that would take the place of your relationship with Christ. We have to remember that we cannot come to Christ on our terms. We have to come on his terms. But yet I think we find in every uh, in every situation around church people, a church gathering, church building, we have people who are coming at different levels. Let's look at this concentric circle design <clears throat> and uh, define some of the groups. I would say, first of all, on the outer edge is the community. That, that's out here, our community at large. Every now and then we might get somebody on the fringe who would come and worship, but they're not ready to join, they're not ready to accept Christ, they're not ready to participate. Then we've got the crowd. That's the people who would show up regularly or they come for big events. Sometimes it's uh, Easter, sometimes it's Christmas Eve, you know, those kinds of things. It's a part of the crowd. Then you get on down to where there's the congregation. That's the people who've actually made a commitment to join the church and they congregate on a fairly regular level, whatever regular means in their life. But there's not a deep level of commitment. They don't take places of leadership. They're not willing to serve. They're not willing to give, all those kinds of things. Then you come to the next level, and that's the commitment. That's the commitment level. That's where you find people who have a deeper commitment to Christ. They're willing to teach. They're willing to lead, and some of them give. And then you get to that inner core of the disciples, the true disciples and followers of Jesus Christ. And what you would find in most churches is the same thing that we found in our church. And our church, basically about 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And, 80, and 20% give 80% of the financial support of the church. The Prado rule is just pretty much active in that. So, where are you in that? Are you out there in the community? Are you a little bit closer to the crowd or the congregation? Are you moving towards, uh, taking steps to be committed? Are you part of that core? And what do you have to do to move to that fully committed follower of Jesus Christ? When we come and look at the teaching out of Scripture today... I understand we're talking about no comfortable cross. Jesus lays out five demands about discipleship, and we'll have to run through them fairly quickly. First of all, Jesus says, if you want to follow after him and be a fully devoted follower, not just a fan, you have to love Jesus completely. See, the first image Jesus uses is a family. And Jesus says something harsh. We have to hate our family. Now, you might be taken back by that if you're not familiar with that passage of Scripture. And you say, I thought Jesus told us to, to love and to honor and respect our family, especially in the Ten Commandments to have honor and respect for our parents. And I thought that the gospel taught us that we we're supposed to love everybody. Well, what does Jesus mean when he says we have to hate? Remember that Jesus often used figures of speech to get his point across. He used metaphors, similes, parables. And in this situation, he's using a hyperbole, which is an intended exaggeration to make a point. You know, if you are a parent, you've probably said this. If you are a product of a parent, you've probably heard something like this. I've told you a million times to turn that television off and get in there and do your homework. 
Or I've told you a million times to clean up this room. It's a disgusting mess. Or I've told you a hundred thousand times at least to get out there and help me clean out the garage, cut the grass, whatever it might be, do the dishes. I had one parent after the first service say, so you all always benefit from the experience of the 845 crowd. She said, you know, I had an experience like that with my child this past week or so. She said, I looked at him and I said, how many times am I going to have to tell you to stop doing that? And he looked up and said, probably four or five. (laughs) Well, Jesus was using up hyperbole when he said you have to hate your parents and your family and all of that. The Greek word that's used there for hate literally means to prefer above. And what that means for us is if you're going to be a fully committed follower of Christ, you have to prefer him above any other relationship, even your family members. Your love for Jesus has to be so so powerful that in comparison it seems as if you might hate anyone else. See, and that's how we get our our foundational relationship with Christ correct, is that we love him first and nobody else is in that first place except Christ. And we love him supremely, completely, totally. The second thing Jesus says is, you have to live like a dead person. Now that sounds like a contradiction in terms, isn't it? To live like a dead person. Well, that's what he means when he's talking about taking up your cross and following him daily. He said, you go back and clarify, what does it mean to take up the cross? It's voluntarily what you endure to be a disciple. And literally what Jesus is talking about is if you're going to bear the cross, it means you die to yourself and you live only under him. I think for us today, the cross in our society has become simply an overused symbol. It's not really unique for believers. At least I wonder that every time I see it displayed somewhere on a necklace or a cross in somebody's pocket or a bracelet or when somebody's got it tattooed on them or somebody's got it. Uh, in some other way about wearing a cross. I wonder, do they really know what that means? Are they really a follower of Christ? Are they a Christian? Are they a believer? You see, a, a few years ago there was a book out and then a movie with the same name entitled Dead Man Walking. You remember that? And it's taken from the fact that there was a, a Catholic sister who, who uh, became really interested in prisoners on death row and she kind of bonded with them. And the title of it comes from the fact that when a man is led out to go to his execution, the other prisoners on death row say, dead man walking, dead man walking, because they know he's going to his place of execution and he's going to die. What does it mean for us to die, to be a dead person and to live like a dead person? I think Paul understood that. And three passages in Galatians, the Apostle Paul says to us something about that, what it means to carry the cross and be dead to ourselves. He said, I've been crucified with Christ and uh, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, Galatians 2.20. And Paul says, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the sinful nature with its passions and desires. That's Galatians 5.24. And Galatians 6.14, Jesus said, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Now, I think simply, the bottom line, what it means is that, that we really die to any kind of allurement that the world would have that would challenge us to choose anything out there in the world above our relationship with Christ. Doesn't mean that's wrong about any of the things you might want. Just don't put them in that place above God. I think the classic work on discipleship is still by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. 
German pastor during the time that the Nazis were reigning. He spoke out against it, ended up in a concentration camp, later was executed. He wrote a book called The Cost of Discipleship. And then still the compelling line in that, in that book after all these years is this, that when Christ bid, calls a man, he bids him come and die. You have to remember that. We have to live like a dead person. And you know something else about that? When someone is dead and passes out of this world to the other one, they are released. They are released and liberated. And when we come and die to self and follow after Christ, we're liberated. We're set free. Third thing Jesus says is plan to finish strong. He gives the image of a man who wants to build a tower. And he sits down to calculate the cost to see if he can build it. Because he wanted to follow through and make sure that he had enough resources to build the tower. And, and, and we didn't want to leave it unfinished. Jesus said in verse 29, he talks about a person who was not able to finish. And so, he, he emphasizes to us the importance of making a commitment at the beginning to finish strong at the end. And it's always important that we finish strong. There's no biblical teaching about coasting along in this discipleship process. You can't put your, pillow, your Bible under your pillar at night and through a process of osmosis be a full-grown disciple when you get up in the morning, even after a week's time, even a lifetime. You can't coast along into discipleship. You've got to be strong and you've got to finish strong. Uh, I watched most of the uh, Summer Olympic Games. Enough of it to see in, in the swimming st- uh, meets and all that, that uh, Michael Phelps was still very dominant. He lost some things and didn't get as many as he maybe was touted to get. But he still received enough medals, gold, silver, and others, that he was the most decorated Olympian of all time. There was one race, a meet, whatever you call it, in particular that I remember, that he was a shoe-in for the goal. You remember that? And, and he had the lead, and right as he got near the end and stretching out to touch the wall so his time could be there, he just kind of coasted in. He didn't give it a one last kick. And the guy in the lane next to him finished with a strong kick, and guess what? He finished first and got the gold, and Michael Phelps finished second and got the silver. Even his mother... When the stands did that, surprised her. He coasted. There is no coasting. It's a commitment. I've been in the ministry 36 and a half years. I cannot number, and 24, almost 24 years here come January, the number of people who cycle in and who cycle out in the life of the church. And sometimes they cycle out to come back in after they've been in five or six other churches. And some of them cycle in here, and then they just drop out. They just completely drop out. That's not finishing strong. That's not being a true disciple of Christ. Jesus says, when you begin, begin with the intent to finish strong. The fourth thing Jesus says is surrender control of your life to Jesus. And he talks about the king going to war against another king. And he says he's going to see if he's got enough to resources to be successful. And if not, he's going to sit down and see about terms of peace. Well, let's look at it this way. In that reference that Jesus makes, that illustration, you're one of the king and God is the other king. And because you can never win against him, you've got to sit down and talk about terms of surrender. Back in the day that there were literally kings that did this, they oftentimes the, the king who had to surrender and all of the followers had, had to become slaves of the conquering king. 
Well, in essence, that's what Jesus is saying about our life, is that we have to surrender the control of our life to Him. And that requires a great deal of humility. And in our comfort area, we don't have a whole lot of humility. We want to be in charge. We want to be in control. We don't want anybody else to call the shots in our life. It's all about us. Every year there are thousands of self-help books out there in all kinds of categories that talk about the fact you can do it. You're number one. It's up to you. And Jesus says, surrender your life to me. If you're going to be a full-fledged follower, surrender your life to me. And I want to say to you, you cannot be a disciple of Jesus unless you're willing to humble yourself and come to him and give your life to him completely. You got to do that. That's what it takes to be a disciple of Christ and to follow after him and to give up everything in your life, Jesus said. That's a priority of putting the kingdom first. Then the fifth thing Jesus says is maintain purity in your life. An example he gives is about salt. And he says, salt is good. But if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's fit neither for the salt nor for the manure pile. It's simply thrown out. And he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Salt was very valuable in the time of Jesus. In fact, Roman soldiers were paid with salt. And that's where we get the word salary. Oftentimes we use the word to describe somebody pretty sorry by saying they're not worth their salt. You ever heard that? That's what it, where it came from. That's what it means. You're not, you're not worth your salt. Well, also the, the salt in Jesus' day wasn't really pure. Pure salt never does lose its saltiness, never does lose its flavor. But most of the salt in Jesus' day was not mined. It came off of the Dead Sea. And when the water would evaporate, it would leave behind uh, salt with traces of other mineral in it. And when you would rub it on meat, uh, it wouldn't really taste good and it really wouldn't preserve that meat like genuine salt would do. And so Jesus was saying, the reality is, you are the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world, but you're also the salt of the earth. And you're supposed to stop the decaying process in the culture and the society around you. And if you're not keeping yourself pure, then you can't do anything to preserve the culture and the nature around us. See, if we're going to be the salt of the earth, we've got to be pure. We have to come into contact with our culture every day. And we have to seek to make a difference. We've got to live a lifestyle that honors God. We've got to speak out against the immoral actions in our country. We've got to say that there is an absolute truth and there is a standard that we're going to be held accountable to by God. And if we don't speak up about the issue and about what's happening in our country, who will? You see, the problem today, again, is that too many believers are in their comfort zone, that they don't want to get outside of that. They're saved, they're safe, they're secure. Maybe their family is, and they're just content with that. Meanwhile, the world goes to hell. We have to, with love in our heart and concern for people, talk about these things. But it begins by being pure. We have to be pure. We have to be followers of Christ, knowing that we're the salt of the earth. And if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Let me remind you, if you need a salvation, the blood of Jesus Christ will cleanse you. And the Word of God will purify you to make you a full-fledged follower. And you'll be pure salt. Now let's wrap it all up. There's no comfortable cross. You hear what Jesus said here in this passage of Scripture. In the five marks He talks about, about being a disciple. He lays it on the line, doesn't He? He doesn't hold anything back. Everybody understood what He was talking about. I hope you do. 
Because following Jesus means having no comfortable cross. And that's the big difference between a fan and a follower of Jesus Christ. So I ask you today, are you a real disciple? Are you moving from that, some outer layer, outer range on the, on the concentric circle till you're moving towards the core where you're going to be a fully committed follower of Christ? So you, do you love Jesus more than anyone else, even your family? Are you a dead man walking, carrying your cross? Are you committed to finishing strong in the name of Jesus Christ? Are you willing to stay pure in an impure world? See, Jesus is looking for us, calling for us to be disciples and to follow after Him. The challenge is, will you and I be completely devoted followers of Christ rather than simply being fans? A fan or a follower, the choice is yours. Lord Jesus, we thank You for Your words that speak clearly about Your demands upon us if we choose to come and follow after You. We must die to ourselves, die to sin, and have to give ourselves to You completely, loving You above anything else. So, Father, I pray that uh, You will move through this congregation, this family of faith. You will speak to us wherever we are in our relationship with You. And through the power of the Holy Spirit convicting us and leading us and guiding us, You will give us the resolve to follow after You and to make the commitments we need to make to be a truly committed follower of You. And I pray that in the name of Christ our Lord and Savior. Amen. Our response time is as we stand and sing, uh, You have saved us. If you have decisions to make, this is the time to come and make them public.